wish to go to We Worship. May go do so, those kindergarten and under. As you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, we'll be reading 1 John 5 this week, kind of a summary of the book of 1 John. A number of years ago, I decided that I needed to reevaluate my insurance, uh, term life insurance is uh, what we possess and need to do so according to uh, my salary and evidently according to my health. They wanted to check a few things out. Had to uh, have someone take some blood from me. That's when I learned that I could faint um, from that. If you look closely at blood extracting from your body, it has a, a dizzying effect to me. So I have to sit down. Um, and they... Gave me a price accordingly to my health of what it would cost to insure me on the likelihood of my dying. Uh, so it's interesting when you start looking at the numbers, the mortality of that. And so you, you pay as you go. Um, and I think sometimes we tend to think that eternity and the concept of eternal life is something like that where you kind of pay as you go and according to the quality of your spiritual life will determine your likelihood of experiencing eternal life. Um, scripture seems to say something different. Jesus especially, John capturing on what Jesus taught, expresses something radically different. Uh, as we look at this idea of term life or eternal life. What's the difference between these two? And we're going to note that as we read 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look especially at verses 11 through 13. Uh, but then we will skip down to verse 18 uh, through 20 uh, as we look at this. And, and understand what God has done to bridge a gap for us that was insurmountable. I don't know if you've ever looked at the history of the Golden Gate Bridge. Before the Golden Gate Bridge was finished, it was listed as the impossible bridge, the impossible challenge uh, because of the, the strait, the Golden Gate Strait. Uh, it, it was known as the bridge that couldn't be built. A mile uh, span Dealing with strong tides, wind, fog, the San Andreas Fault, just seven miles offshore. How could they build this bridge? They had never known a long span bridge that was that long. It was estimated it would cost over $100 million, uh, which was significant at that time. And uh, in construction projects of that day and time, they would have, uh, per every million dollars spent, would be one life. 
one person would die per every million spent. And so uh, you're looking at the uh, considerable cost of life. Uh, but there was a man that made it happen. Uh, the man by the name of Joseph Strauss was an engineer and said hey, it could be done and for a lot less. And in it, he made uh, was very uh, strict to certain safety codes. He had them uh, wear things like hard hat helmets like miners would wear. That was unknown until that time uh, as a, on a wide-scale way. He had something called a safety net that he had constructed and built and were requiring these people to uh, wear these helmets and have these safety nets and, uh, until uh, for uh, one time, there was only one person that died, but then there was an incident where 10 workers died at once because a piece of scaffolding came through and broke through the net. But there were many others that were caught by this safety net. They were known as the halfway to hell club. Halfway to hell because they knew what it was to fall only to be caught by a safety net. Of course, we know the bridge was done at a lot less cost than they originally were thinking at the time it was the world's world's largest span bridge and held that for about 30 some years spanning what was once thought no way but what we're going to find in scripture is that there's a larger gulf between ourselves and god that was and is impossible for man. In fact, Jesus said it this way, what is impossible for man is possible with God. But only with God. And in it we get a little bit more of how that happens as we read 1 John chapter 5. And so I'm going to ask that you stand as we read this together. We're going to begin with verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Go down to verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You may be seated. I've shared with you last week that John was written, First John was written, that you may know you have eternal life. What does it mean to be in Christ? The test. He says, you know when you're in Christ because you keep his commands. 
You know that you're in Christ because you love others. You love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know that you're in Christ because you remain in Christ. You'll see these three themes throughout the book of 1 John. How you know that you're in Christ. And so when he comes to the end, he summarizes it and says, I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And you're going to see some of these same themes in this last chapter. But he talks about eternal life and focuses on it. We skip over verse 14, 15, 16, and 17, where he focuses in on prayer, the confidence that we have in prayer. I would say to you simply that what he is trying to get across to you is that you don't have to overcome reluctance from God when it comes to praying. He wants to answer his children's request. And he wants you to be praying for brothers and sisters who are in sin. You'll note that one of the passages is is talking about what's sinning unto death, and you may want me to talk about, preach about that. I'm not going to right now, Um, so maybe some other time. But he says simply there is such a thing as a sinning unto death, and a lot of times we focus so much on that that we forget the main point. And I I want you to get that and, and notice that, Verse 16, when you see a brother committing sin, not leading to death, you shall ask, and God will give him life. Focus there. Focus there. When you see brothers and sisters in sin, pray for them. Give, and ask God to give them life, to overcome that sin. I say that, I've focused in that now, because church... Uh, uh, and not just this church, but church in general, and especially Southern Baptist churches, we are going to get inundated with the failure of churches in dealing with sex abuse cases. Where people knew they were sex abused but didn't act on it. And we're going we're to hear bad stories of when that didn't happen. And some of these things came to my attention even this morning. Not just sex abuse, but just abuse and domineering spirit and too many times as a church we tend to gloss over it because the cost seems too high but i read this text and it says when you see a brother or sister in sin pray for them that they might have life and overcome the sin and just it just hits me because i've been hearing things even this morning that just stops you in your tracks and I reconcile it with what Scripture says. But all that to say, in, in the spirit of prayer, know that you are a child of God. How do we know that? Because we go back to verse 11 through 13 of what it means to have Christ. So, let's look first at verse 11. He says, this is the testimony. He talks about the testimony of, of God, the testimony of the Son of God, uh, the testimony of the Spirit and water and blood. I believe he's talking about the testimony of Jesus being baptized, we're in Jesus being baptized in water. There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son, hear him. And then the testimony of the blood of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. He says, these things speak to 
Jesus being God's Son. And then the third testimony is the testimony of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus Christ. And, and all pointing to the fact that Jesus is God's Son. That He came. Jesus being God saves Christ, God's anointed one to reign. He is the Messiah. He is the one through whom God works and through whom salvation is known. And so these things are, are spoken about here in chapter 5 in the beginning of this. And then he says, this is the testimony. What is it? That God gave us eternal life. So first understand, eternal life is given. Simple. But first, what is eternal life? One of the things you'll catch as we read this is that eternal life is referring to someone, referring to Jesus. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, this is eternal life, that you know God. That you know God and whom God sent his son. So eternal life is not just a duration but is that you are alive, you're responsive to the eternal one. That you can communicate to God, and God communicates to you. And so to say that you're alive is that you respond to stimuli. To say a plant is alive, that it is still capable of receiving from the energy of the sun and from the water and from the nutrients, and so that plant is alive. But if the frost came and killed it last night, then it's dead. It's no longer responsive to these things. To say that we have eternal life is to say we respond to God, who is the eternal one, and he lives with us and speaks to us and us to him. And so it speaks not to a duration alone, but eternal life begins when you are responding to God and God responds to you. So eternal life begins even now as our heart is beating and we are in the flesh and it, it is known and experienced through our relationship with God. But that ability, that relationship, capital, that, that ability to talk to God is something given. You don't earn it. All right? uh, it is something that only God can do. There's a story of a, of a, a pearl diver's. Uh, a father uh, that had this, this precious, beautiful, gigantic pearl. And there was some that became a friend to this father, to the point where this friend became as a son to him. To, and so the father, this man wanted to show his relationship to this man and says, I want to give you this pearl. Friend said, that's too great a gift. Let me exchange money for it. The pearl owner was greatly offended at this and said, you cannot. You cannot buy this pearl from me. You need to understand how I came across this pearl. You see, I once had a son. And the son also was a pearl diver. He learned from me and he acquired this pearl. But in doing so, he himself died. This pearl represents a precious price of my son and for you to offer money is to cheapen the value of this this is too precious it must be given 
You see, what you have in the eternal life and the capacity to know God and for Him to talk to you is a, uh, something so precious that it cannot be cheapened by your good works. It cannot be cheapened by your morality. You see, if you think that somehow we can get to be right with God by our morality, you underestimate who God is and the holiness of who He is, and you greatly exaggerate and overestimate your good works. And that is too great failings the only way for us to be able to relate to god and know him is that god grants it and so he says simply eternal life is given is given by god this is the testimony john chapter 10 verse 27 through 29 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, is not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. Romans six twenty three: The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand that it is completely separate from your performance? And that, that continues throughout your entire life. So if, if, now look at this, if eternal life isn't earned by good works, it cannot be destroyed by our sin. It is wholly within the hands of God. And that's what makes it such a precious thing, is that it is given to us. Now, verse 12. Eternal life is given. Eternal life is in the Son. Is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Notice the tense of the verb in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life present tense not whoever has a son will have life whoever has the son presently currently has life john 5 12 and 24 says it this way he that hears my commands believes on me has eternal life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. And so that is a, a reality that we take by faith that in Christ, when we trust in Him, that is currently the state that we're in. I happened to uh, go to school with Will uh, Graham. Uh, he was in class with me. He was, uh, lived a couple apartments uh, next, to, next to me. Uh, we talked. We had a, a friendship. Um, he came from Boone and his family were members of the church I came from uh, and so there's a lot of connections that we had and and uh, it was interesting being in that environment seminary and you know, all of us know Billy Graham you know we've known him all our lives and loved and admired him and here's his grandson so it was kind of interesting to watch the dynamic of people around uh, who see great Billy Graham as their hero and, uh, and and undoubtedly you would have folks that would want to get to know Will with the hope of getting to meet Billy Graham. But he had this nice little statement. He said, you want to know my granddad? Well, you can only go to my granddad through the son. I'm the grandson. 
You can't come through the grandson. And in it, he was kind of exemplifying a truth. In other words, that's not my relationship. But in Christ, you have the Son. And so that is the relationship that to gain God the Father, you gain Christ the Son. And so the eternal life is in the Son. So God sees Jesus brings him to our earth and so as he is in earth he is the firstborn of creation he is the source of all things and he in him in him all things are held together and in him all things are existing for his purpose and in him is life and the fullness of god was pleased to dwell in the bodily form of jesus so when you see jesus you don't just get part of god the fullness of God was pleased to dwell within Jesus. But guess what? Jesus also gives us and extends from the Father and himself his spirit. And he is one with the Son and one with the Father. And so the fullness of God is still pleased to dwell through his Holy Spirit. And here's the crazy thing. He said, you sinners who are so self-centered, if you would just come and trust me, I will grant to you the Holy Spirit and the same love that the Father has shared with the Son, he now shares with you, and you enter into this holy relationship. And that is Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And we don't know what we'll be like, but this we do know. We shall see him as he is, and we'll see be, we will be like him at that time. We'll see Jesus as he is. Not in our screwed up version of him, but as he really is. And the beautiful, holy, gentle, majestic nature of Jesus Christ. Eternal life is in the Son. Let's go to verse 13. Eternal life is certain. Is certain. These things... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Know you have eternal life. Some things you just know. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. When I first got married, if you would call me up in the middle of the night and ask you, do you feel married? I'm like, I don't feel alive. But after... 24 years I feel married okay but the first few years I didn't feel married I was like I don't know I feel the same way I've always felt that's been single and somehow I'm, someone declared it I confessed it she confessed it there's witnesses I guess we are it has nothing to do with feelings it was done feelings will come after 24 years all right realities are declared God has declared for those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. So let's go back a little bit in 1 John. Consider who all was this book written to. It was written to believers. What does it mean 
to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Well, you go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, through all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the first thing. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God are those who confess their sin. They confess their sin. They're not thinking that they're better than they really are. They, they're not saying, I'm not all that bad, and thus calling God a liar. No, these are the ones who confess their sin and lean on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 1, they're leaning on Jesus as their advocate. That though they, they sin, they're still an advocate before the Father who is representing them and saying that sin, the penalty of the sin, goes on account of the death of Jesus Christ. These are the ones who confess Jesus Christ. They don't just confess their sin, they confess that Jesus is Christ. Jesus means God who saves Christ. God's anointed one and he's come in the flesh. You see that in chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. What we looked at last week, chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 6. They're the ones who confess that Jesus is the Christ. Who are these ones that know they have eternal life? They are the ones who keep the commands of Christ. They keep the commands of Christ. You see this in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 and verse 10. You see this in chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. These are the ones who have a heart to obey Jesus Christ. Who are the ones who know they have eternal life? These are the ones who love God and love others. You see this in chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 7. Even in chapter 5, verse 2, this one of the things that was neat, if you, if you read chapter 4, there's this interesting phrase, you can't see God anymore. He, he's, he's a spirit. You, you can't see him, but you can love your brothers and sisters. What, what's, what's being said in that? In chapter 4, what he's saying is, you can't see God anymore, but you can see God through the people. You can't love God and that he's here in flesh, but you can love his people. And so why does the church matter? That question was asked to me. It's like, you don't have to go to church to be a believer, do you? No, that's not the requirement. It, it's just, you saved by the grace of God through faith, and, and that's it. But something happens when you're saved by God's grace through faith. God changes your heart. He gives you his word, and he gives you this crazy affection for people that you don't really know, but they just know Jesus Christ, and so you love them. And you want to be with them. You don't have to join a fishing club to be a fisherman. But folks who really love fishing often find themselves in fishing clubs. Or at least groups of people that like to fish. And it just follows their heart. And so that's what you see here, is that this is part of what it means to confess Christ. That this work happens, it's one of the criteria. John brings it, how do you know you're in Christ? You confess your sin, you confess that Jesus is the Christ, you obey his commands, you love the people, and you remain with them. You remain with Christ. And this is how you see it played out. Eternal life is certain, it's never recalled. You know, it, 
I have to pay attention every once in a while to the cars we buy. And every once in a while, there's this recall statement. You've got to bring it into the shop. Something's faulty. With, in 2,000 years, there's never been a recall statement by the salvation of God given to people through Jesus Christ. It's never going to be recalled. Something not repeatable. John chapter 4, verse 13. Remember the Samaritan woman by the well? He was speaking to her and understanding the thirst of her own heart and life that evidently she was trying to satisfy in relationships with men. None of them were working. Multiple husbands. He said, you're craving for something. You're not going to find it in a relationship with men. The water I give you is eternal water. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. There's a satisfaction found in relationship with the Lord. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into him everlasting life. Who has this birthright? Those who confess their need. John 3, right before John 4, with the Samaritan woman was the Nicodemus, the religious man. He was trying to find his satisfaction in his religion and his works and his memorization of the, of the word and of the performance of, of these good deeds. But he know, noticed that Jesus had something he didn't have. And Jesus talks about things like being born again. He's like, what, what does that even mean? He said, it's one thing to be born on this earth, but you've got to be born of God. Whoever's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus being religious isn't enough. It's not going to meet it. You have to be born of God. Come to God. Recognize your need. Depend on the mercy of God that's found in Jesus Christ. He said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so too the Son of Man will be lifted up. Look upon him and trust and believe. That is word to Nicodemus. Let me share with you one more as we go to the last part of this chapter. We go down to verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This, this concept, born of God, it's, it's an it's a identity thing. Um, if, if you're a child of someone, when you're young, to be known as the child of someone, that's your identity. And even to this day, depending on where you're from, if you go to the right part of the country, they'll ask you, who's your mama? Who's your dad? Who's your grandparents? Who's your uncle? That's just a ritual you go through when you go out in the country. Because like, people get their connections they're, they're by how you're related. So when he's saying, born of God, he's saying, your identity, your son of God. We know that everyone who has this identity of God, who has been born of God, does not keep on sinning. It doesn't mean that they, they don't ever sin anymore, but the keeping on is the emphasis here, that they change the sinning. Right? So it's done with hatred. It's been said that repentance, another way for repentance is to call it re-hating of sin. To repent is to re-hate the sin. 
And so you don't keep on sinning the way that you used to. God is doing a work in you. And there's a change. You don't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. Now, who is he talking about, born of God? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, born of God, comes to protect us. He was born away from God in a little manger in the dark so that we could be born with God. He was born in the dark so we could be born in the light. He was born in shame so we could be born in his glory. He was born in humanity so that we could be born as sons and daughters of God. Born away. Born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idol. So listen, what I want to share with you, eternal life isn't just certain, isn't just given, uh, isn't just in the Son, but eternal life is total life. Eternal life is is total life. In other words, eternity is not an additive that you put into your life. All right? It's not something that is some kind of life enhancement. It's not extra credit. Eternal life is to say, Jesus is my life. He's not, see, religion is like, I just want a part of my life. I'm going to be more religious. I'm going to add in a little bit more of Jesus into my life. And it doesn't work that way. When we say that eternal life is given to us, he's given it to us in his son, Jesus. But Jesus is so precious to God that for him to be anything other than our total life is to be an insult. Our total life, to say my identity, is that we belong to God. Does that sound familiar? What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God in body and soul. It's total life. So consequently, at the end, he says, but rest assured, in Jesus, who's your total life? He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, including inferior versions of Jesus. Where Jesus is just an add-on in your life. The idols cannot give you eternal life. Cannot connect you with the eternal one. Cannot produce a love in your heart. Cannot produce a righteous desire in your life. Cannot give you the joy and hope that you're looking for. Keep yourselves from idols. Tim Keller, uh, in one of his sermons, brought out an illustration with Harry Potter. and Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, toward the end you've got the bad dude the evil dude who's trying to kill young Harry who's 11 at the time in Voldemort he's trying to wipe him out but somehow he's possessed one of the humans there a guy named Coral and he's trying to kill him And he lunges after Harry Potter, grabs him by the throat. Harry Potter responds and grabs his hand. And as he grabs his hands, the bad dude's hand starts to crumble and yells out in agony. 
Harry Potter's realizing somehow he's got this power where he can't touch them. And so he grabs his face. And as he grabs his face, Coral just crumbles away and dies. He asks a professor later on, why, why couldn't he touch me? He said, well, you see, Voldemort tried to kill your parents, tried to kill you at a young age, but your mother gave her life out of love for you to protect you. And that type of love that gives his own life is a higher magic than what Voldemort can do. And you've been blessed. He can't touch you. Let me read to you verse 18 again. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. God has loved you so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If anyone would believe on him, they'll not perish, but have everlasting life. To say, I want the love of Christ in my life. And when you let God love you and surrender your life and say, God, forgive me, I need you. That type of love, that type of holiness, that type of power of Jesus in your life, even the evil one in this life cannot Touch your salvation. Do you believe that Jesus' holiness is greater than your sin? Can you believe that his strength and perseverance is greater than your tendency to sin? Can you believe that it is our nature as sheep to wander away, but it is the nature of a shepherd to come and bring us back in? To say, I trust in Christ alone. But you may hear yourself say something else. You might hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness. Watch and pray. Find in me thine all and all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And now I'll complete in him my robe, his righteousness. I'll rejoice with all my might. I am now divinely blessed. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Let's pray.
Father, this eternal life, the capacity to hear from you, to relate to you, to talk with you, and you to talk with me for eternity, to have a relationship with the greatest one in you, the most beautiful, the most holy, the most powerful, and yet I, so much the hypocrite, so much the selfish one, and I'll take the air you make with the lungs you've made and the body you've given to me, and I'll breathe it, and I'll breathe it for myself instead of for you. Yet, despite it all, you loved us, and you loved me because of who you are, And you sent your son to show us life and to provide for us life through the death and resurrection, to give us forgiveness, that in your son we might have life and life abundantly. And you've written these things that we might know that we have eternal life. Father, for eternity, we'll still be grasping the reality of what you've given to us. But Lord, give us a jump on it now. Help us to ponder and to think through that we'll marinate our thinking, our soul, our actions in your love and your holiness. That anyone that would have this hope in them would purify themselves even as you are pure. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you'll stand and sing with us that which we've just heard.